Welcome to the latest Irish Illustrated Insider. Pete Sampson joined by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. We got a little bit of a viewing at spring practice yesterday. A couple interviews, Brian Kelly included. It was uh, light as light could be in terms of substantial observations, but we have a couple full practices coming up. So I think maybe the question is more, what are we most interested to see over the weekend than what was most interesting that we saw yesterday? Yeah, we, we deserve writing awards yeah. for, for, for volume <laughs> written yesterday for nothing happening on the, on the practice field. I mean, it was, that's, not, that's really not totally true. I mean, you get an opportunity to see how they look in a football yeah. uniform and how they look running around. I mean, you don't see any real physical contact. But, uh, you know, I, I, let me just talk about the defense because I had that side of the football, and I think that um, – you know, the, the defensive line worked on double teams yesterday, and most of it wasn't very good because double teams are created so that the defensive line doesn't have an opportunity to be successful with it. So, but having said that, you know, and I, Pete, I think you alluded to Dalen Hayes looking, you know, better physically, and now maybe this is an opportunity for for us to see him, you know, start to come into his own a little bit more. Last year was very difficult for him. Brian Kelly said he didn't even understand the position he was playing fully. Um, so I get that, but, um, you know, the depth there along the defensive line, obviously that's going to be supplemented when the, the freshmen come in. I thought just to throw out a couple names that I, that I saw, I thought, I thought Jonathan Jones looked really good. Um, you know, what opportunity he's going to have with, um, you know, with the two inside linebackers there that, uh, you know, with, with Coney, I mean, Coney obviously is going to hold down a spot and, um. You know, we'll see about that. But this is the time where the young players have an opportunity to do something. The freshman linebackers, I think of the three freshman linebackers, and Brian Kelly said it, Bo Bauer looks like the most physically prepared of that group. Yeah, I'd say for Jonathan Jones, he sort of falls into the group of, like, if you don't make a move now, and that doesn't even mean make a move into the lineup, but if you don't make a move to hold off what's behind you, then you're yeah, in deep trouble. I, I totally agree, and I think that he's in a position to, to, to show some move. things this spring. Yeah, it's I kind of look at him is not somebody that I would want to be starting this year, but could he do what, you know, Asmar Bilal did last year in terms of being the sixth linebacker or the fifth linebacker where, you know, you play legitimate minutes, but not a ton of them. I would hope he could do more than that because most of the time Bilal didn't know what he was doing last right. year. But it's like he was on, he was on the field when it mattered. You yeah. know, and last year, Jonathan Jones, I don't think got, reps when it mattered. No. He got a bunch of reps when it didn't and kind of showed some interesting stuff. He got some reps against teams like USC when it yeah. didn't matter. That was fun for him. Yeah. But there was, no, every time he came in in mop-up duty, he looked good. Mm -hmm. I have faith that Jonathan Jones is going to hold off the redshirt freshman and freshman linebackers this year yeah. and be Notre Dame's number one backup inside linebacker. I don't know what that means, yeah. but I, I, well, you I should, would be surprised if no, he's not. No, I mean, that, that's, that's how the process works, right? I mean, that's how it's... Plus, he looks like he can play the position. I think you know, he does. I thought he was physical role. when he yeah. played a little bit last year. The other guy that jumped out at me was Troy Pride Jr., you know, and we know he's a good athlete. He's on the track team. He's a he's a great track man. And that was one of the reasons why I asked Brian Kelly about him, and he explained really why he hasn't had as much playing time, because when they're in inside the 20, or when Stanford's inside the 20, and they're in one coverage, he's in a different coverage. So that will curtail your playing time at, at cornerback. But physically, I, you know, he's now going to be a junior. He's a guy that I think has has everything you need, and you'd like to think that he can be at least, you know, a rotational guy going into this. Yeah, season. I mean, I know the coaching staff last year was privately not high on him at all, um, and I think they were maybe surprised, like, what he was doing in a positive sense. So he's another guy that I think 
he, I think he got some work by default last year. And well, most of it came at the end to, of the season, yeah, though. When Nick Watkins was hurt. Right, that's true. But he know, was on like, the field when LSU was 0 for 6 throwing the football in need, the final series of the game, too. He needs so. to be not getting reps by default. Like, yeah. win a job. Well, I think, and my point is physically, I think he can do that. Yeah. Now he's got to be mentally locked in. Yeah, I watch the offense. Um, I am super curious, as everyone is, to see what Brandon Wimbush and Ian Book look like with a real pass rush because that's not something that we saw yesterday. Um, you know, when they have to move around, throw outside the pocket. I, you know, there's there's no way to know. And I think even if you go out Thursday and Saturday and Wimbush is twenty for twenty with five touchdowns. You're not really, really going to know until he does that against Michigan, and you know when the live bullets are flying. But That'd the receiver, yeah, the receiver, it would be good. Yeah, the receiver rotation, I want to see that. Um, you know, it was Fink, Boykin, and um, the third starter yesterday was Young. Young, yeah. yeah. So then you've got you know Javon McKinley. How does he fit in the mix? Chase Claypool with the twos. I think that he is ultimately going to be that spring player who you're like, why isn't he getting reps with the one similar to like. You know, it was Lewis Nix a few years ago. Um, not similar to Stefferson. No, not saying. similar to Stefferson. It's just like, but just get in line. Like, work hard. Um, and I think the coaches are probably going to try to send a message that Claypool is somebody that can have a high, high ceiling, and he needs to put in the work in March and April to, to hit it. Well, he's not cleared for contact, or is he? Um, you know, in tempo drill, there's no contact, and he's running with the twos. You know, we he's, okay. he's not going to get banged around. You know, right. Brock Wright's not going to get banged around. Um, so it's, I, I would just like to see a little bit more from him because it, it look he's I think in terms of physical ability, he's the guy. I mean, there's I don't there's not yeah. a receiver on the roster with more physical ability than Chase Claypool. There's, yeah, I would agree. There should be some pretty good hitting at Saturday's practice, the one open to the media, if not Thursday, because yesterday was pad assimilation. Mm-hmm. You're not they didn't they, they weren't. Even when we left, they probably weren't really knocking heads too much because it's the first day in pads. So I would think early in the spring after this layoff, we're going to see something good Thursday or Friday, which finally allows us to watch running backs and the offensive line in a meaningful in a meaningful manner. You really cannot watch running backs in the drills. So that's, that doesn't do anything yeah, anyone, anyone that comes out yesterday saying that they know what's happening yeah, yeah. with this group and who's... Let's be realistic. I mean, that, the, the coaches on the field don't. I don't know that. I think the biggest change for me from practice coming up four and five, I expect the defensive line to be ahead of the influx offensive line. Where imagine that a year ago, you couldn't even comprehend that. Oh yeah, going into spring. Wow. And it, I mean, I really it, it's it'll test the, as you said, Pete the quarterbacks and Jones and Williams. It's going to be interesting to see a defensive front seven. That pretty much knows what it's doing, other than the new rover. And at this point, Bilal probably knows what he's doing in practice when he's in there over the tight end, going against a line that they don't really have their pieces in place yet. They're not necessarily going, and they're going to be rotating the offensive line because they're trying to find who starts. So I think I expect the front seven to win when we're there, and not necessarily that be a, that's a good thing if it continues that way. But I just expect them to win because they have the advantage right now. Yeah, I mean, I think player by player, if you looked at the four defensive linemen versus the five offensive linemen. Three of the four are clearly better than the guy they're going to be going against on the defensive line, which is you know you would never have said that last yeah. year. So that and some of the backups too, that's important as well. Yeah, some of the backups as well. In situations. So, mm-hmm. so it's like it, I think we'll get a lot of some good seven on seven type stuff tomorrow, and probably some eleven on eleven thud type stuff. But on Saturday, 
maybe will there be a little bit more. I, I do want to say that one last thing on the offense, Miles Boykin. I mean, Brian Kelly mentioning him right away when he was asked about receivers. That's a good sign. That that means here's a guy that had a huge moment in the bowl game, and it looks like he's building upon that. And I think he was mentioned during the the yeah, conditioning part too, about, right? I asked about Boykin in our first meeting with Brian Kelly, you know, right? And he talked about how much quicker he was, right? In the, in the, so, in the ten yard sprint, he was. On one of the few guys that was under 1.5, which is, yeah. and it's all the, all oh, the other guys right. were quick, quick, small that's guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good sign. I mean, he needs to be. He's, a, he's an upperclassman, and they don't have a lot of experience there. And we all know they've got three really talented um, freshman receivers coming in, and, and uh, Micah Jones is already there. But, you, I mean, you need your upperclassmen to step forward, and it sounds like Boykin's doing that. Let's round up the early enrollees because that is something that you can be like, okay, he looks like he fits in, or maybe he's got a ways to go based off some brief glances, which is all that we've gotten so far. Um, I was on offense. George Sackis is out, so I don't really have any, yeah. no comment on that. But I thought Jameer Smith sort of looked like a college back younger guy would look. Um, he's low, he's built really low to the ground. He's he's wide. We didn't really see him to do a whole lot, but if he was, you know, your third or fourth back, I think that's probably okay. Um, I thought Micah Jones was in some ways more intriguing looking than Jameer Smith because he is really long, and you could see standing next to Claypool and Boykin that he's he's taller than him. You can spot that from 80 yards away, which is how far away it was, but... He's quite thin, um, so he's got a lot of room to grow there. But I I don't know how many reps either of those guys are going to get over the weekend. Probably next to nothing. Yeah. But um, there's certainly enough. You're like, okay, I'd like to see a little bit more in camp and see see how these guys go. They certainly look like they fit in with the roster. Well, I had, I had uh, four what four guys on the defensive side, the three linebackers and, and Houston Griffith, and I've already kind of talked a little bit about. It. I think Bo Bauer. You know, Bo Bauer's put together. Of, of those three linebackers, physically, he's the most prepared to participate on, on this level. Um, and, I, you know, I I guess I, I didn't expect him to be plotting, but I didn't expect him to be as light on his feet as he showed yesterday. So I thought that was impressive. Lamb's got a great frame, but he's very thin. Uh, Agufo is, is very thin. And, you know, and Kelly even said that neither one of those two guys – Physically, are probably ready to play. Houston Griffith was working, working with the corners. You know, anytime you're looking at the corners and you see Julian Love run one rep followed by another cornerback doing the same thing, like a backpedal turn and run. Um, nobody's as good at that as Julian Love is. He's he's really really good. But that was something I thought of while watching high school film of, of Houston Griffith that he he was pretty smooth out of his backpedal, and we saw a little bit of that yesterday. But you know, again, I, I don't want to form too many opinions based on, on yesterday. And I did want to say this. Um, you know, we write those practice reports, and I'm almost hesitant to say these are the guys that came out with first, second, third team, because immediately that's what people jump on and say, why the hell is Jalen Elliott and Nick Coleman still with the first team? Well, you know, they just came off of a two-week layoff. You're not going to throw somebody in there that doesn't understand the defense as well as those two guys because they were the starters. Nick Coleman probably will remain in them whether he I think he'll he probably still will start and even if he doesn't he'll remain in the mix not quite as sure about Jalen Elliott because I thought there were a lot of holes in his game last year but my point is don't overreact when we say they're running you know 11 on none and these guys are still with the first team when they're coming out of a two-week break 
I did not expect Nick Coleman to be second unit, and I don't think he'll be second unit all this spring. It just no, maybe in maybe in August or not even August, maybe during September if they are going to be able to bring along a new safety like Jen Keith or Gilman uh, or Derek Allen, you can throw in there. But it's not happening right away. They and just, they're they're going to trust Nick Coleman to quarterback things back yeah. there. I want to ask Terry Joseph and Todd Light, I know Light's not his coach, about Jalen Elliott, and if they believe there's a lot there. I guess they're going to say yes, but. What what he did well last year that we didn't see because people are getting on. Well, that's I want to good, ask what he did well. That's that we a good. See. That's a good question to ask, and I think they're going to have a hard time answering it. Quite frankly, I mean, I, I really do. I agree. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know what the other answer would be. Jim Heath look, and you guys comment on this when I was in uh, New York and you saw the one practice. He looks really good physically. Yeah, I like. <laughs> I like his upside. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back to the Jonathan Jones thing, not because we're spending time on him, but the freshman linebackers. We didn't say any of those positive things really last year about the redshirt freshman linebackers and Drew White and David Adams. And I think those are the guys that have to make a move. They're neither one of them starting. Neither I'm saying those guys have to hold someone off because otherwise they're never holding. Yeah, and off. and so I think it was a thread on our message board and it was asked, and I just said, well, they were out there, but I mean, I don't really, ha- I don't have anything. They're worth watching this weekend because I want to see them in this controlled setting. Yeah, this, they got to be able to show something now at this point. And Adams had a year basically lost to no doubt Andrew. about it's it. Not, that's not nothing you know to do we evaluate we evaluated him in an all star game yeah. and he was playing hurt. Um, yeah, no, no doubt. White was so, undersized. So, but now this, now this right. time you cannot be falling behind all the freshmen right. because just Good because point. you had a like, you lost your freshman year to being mm-hmm. undersized or injured. No question. All right. Well, that's it for segment one. We'll come back talk a little bit of basketball, a lot more spring football next. Irish Illustrated Insider. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. We're going to have some basketball talk here, wrapping up the NIT. You've got a question for a reader as well. Um, but just in general terms, Tim Priester, you were there for Hampton and Penn State. And, I mean, the Penn State game was just – it had to be incredibly disappointing for – you just sit there and be like, this is not the, the Notre Dame that was said they were really <laughs> invested in winning the NIT. It just – it didn't look like it was all. No, I think I, I do think Penn State had a lot to do with that. I think they sure. broke their will. Their they you know their length really put a crimp in what they were trying to do offensively. And as I mentioned, Mike Watkins, their best player, who six all six nine two fifty five of them walking around the court before the game. It's like man, I'm glad he's not playing. But it didn't really matter because the rest of their players were too long and too strong for Notre Dame. And I thought Notre Dame was invested, uh, but I think it quickly became obvious to them how difficult it was going to be to do anything they they wanted to do offensively. And uh, you know, and then Bonzi Colson gets hurt, uh, and as it turns out, he has broken that foot again, and that's that, that's just a bad thing. But um, this team, I wrote about it in a, in my full court press the day after the game. It just it never came together, and I, you can point to the the Wichita State win uh, to win the Maui Invitational. But Wichita State had its flaws, and they weren't playing good basketball at the beginning of the season or at the end of the season because they lost to Marshall when they got into the, the, the NCAA tournament. LSU that they already beat by about forty, I think it was. Um, they were young and they, and they weren't together yet either. So, I mean, this team never came together. Whether whether they had the injuries with Colson Farrell. Um, Harvey, Harvey or, or not, they they weren't they didn't have cohesion when they were all healthy and it, it you know we talked about them being a shooter short they were probably two shooters short Farrell wore down Farrell was never the same after his injury 
two for 19 from three point to end the season. It's just, and they still won 21 games, which I know in this day and age, winning 20 is not that big of a deal, but they beat a lot of the teams that they should have, and they really didn't beat anybody that was better than them. Do you remember flying down to Orlando for the Citrus Bowl? I texted you and said, here's this, we're going through our ranking the games. And I said, I have them at 10 and 8. What do you have? You said 10 and 8. Yeah. They lost Colson and they went 8 and 10. Yeah. That's not that surprising. No, that's why I say they won. I mean, the eight wins were wins that were winnable or games that were winnable, and they got them. NC State, beginning of the year, NC State was without their point guard. They tried hard the whole AC season. They blew some games they could have won, which would have put them in the NCAA tournament. They lost some games that just weren't good enough to win. They went three and four at home without Bonzi Colson in the ACC. You got to be better than that. I don't, I don't, you have to be better than that without your best player at home. So they didn't deserve to make it. Um, I didn't think they were going to play great in the NIT second game. I wrote about it the week before. Because I think there's human nature kicks in. They are mad and they're playing a bad team in Hampton. And you have a few days and everybody's watching the NCAA tournament. I mean, if, if someone yeah. breaks your will and it's the half. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't, I, I can't put a good argument yeah. up for that. And I'm not I saying they didn't them. want to win. I'm saying that sometimes there's different levels of wanting to win. Did you prepare all week for, for as you would an NCAA tournament game? Did they die losing like they did against Miami when they were still involved for the NCAA no, tournament? No, absolutely not. Like, the Virginia absolutely. Tech, they refused to give in in the ACC tournament. Duke's just better than them. Had nothing to do with it. I'm not ripping on them. I'm just saying yeah. the best thing they did was what I expect them to do. Try it. I, and when we say Notre Dame is invested or not invested, I think it, it that makes it that globs too much together. Like one player could be totally invested, and another player cannot, and another player could be halfway in, half out. Like I, I think it was just it was a mixed bag. Everyone wants for them. That's different. Yeah, I think I think, and you're right, Tim. No matter how invested you are, it's still the NIT. Yeah, I mean you just you just can't flip that switch and. When things went against them and they were not able to get into any kind of offensive flow against Penn State, I was in a little bit of a Twitter argument during the game because there were some calls that went against Nordame and and I yeah, agree that they were bad. Yeah. yeah, they were bad calls, but it's like, good God, man, can't you see that Penn State is completely outplaying Notre Dame? Yeah, it's like you guys are describing Penn State breaking their will, like. There were Quentin Nelson or something. It's like Penn State basketball. <laughs> nobody, slam. Yeah, yeah, nobody got thrown down. Um, we had a question from a reader, Rich Marazzi. It's a three-parter, and he wants to know, what do you think Rex Fluger's offensive ceiling will be next year? How do you see the point guard minutes distributed? And if Notre Dame misses the tournament next year, do you think it will be viewed as healthy rebuilding, or will Mike Bray get a little bit of heat? Well, I don't see Rex Fluger improving offensively. He's not going to change his shot. He is what he is. Uh, what he what he needs is for there to be three or four better players on the court with him so he doesn't have to shoot all the time, so he can play his role, so he can pick his spots to shoot three-pointers, which he did a good job of his sophomore year. But everybody, That's ceiling. I was just going to say, you're, you said it perfectly. His sophomore year is his ceiling. Yes. He shoots less because they have better play. He sh- all right, sophomore year. Do you know what Rex Fluger shot from three-point man? I he shot very well from three. Forty percent. Yeah. Because he shot sixty-eight as opposed to hundred and twenty-six. He shot forty-five percent from overall instead of thirty-five percent because he shot less. He shot thirty-two percent, right? For a three point this yeah. year, right? You yeah, under thirty-two percent. He 
he's a guy that can go get offensive rebounds. He can fill the lane on the break. If he's standing open, he should shoot the three, as Pete said before the podcast. I was joking, you shouldn't shoot threes. But if he's open in rhythm, shoot the three. Always shoot it. Yeah, and he can go attack the rim, not dribbling. I'm saying he can go... He's a good athlete. He's he needs to be out in the court because he's a good defensive athlete that rebounds he, for his. But position. he probably doesn't need to be on the court thirty five minutes a game. Definitely, and I get, and I get that. Not. I get that because he's just because but they had nothing this year. We saw. I mean, I thought. Yeah, I know. And yeah. I thought, like to me, the Indiana game in Indianapolis in December when Indiana said, "Fine, you can have the basketball. We're not going to guard you." And and he freaked out, missed some shots, and I think from that point, the rest of Notre Dame's opponents. You know, said basically the same thing. He now he hey, he 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 came up big in the first two games of the ACC tournament. Yeah, they he, he played all year with a bad back. He hurt his knee later. It was not a good year for Rex Luger, but it wasn't entirely no his fault. Certainly, and, he wasn't supposed to be out there that much. And, and, they lost their best scorer. They did. Not part they of did. It. As far as point guard minutes, I mean, they certainly want Prentice Hub to be healthy enough to to we have most. November yeah, November ACL surgery just. Like November first, right. literally, and um, um, you know ACL with a small guy better yeah. than ACL with a big guy. I mean, hopefully recovery's a little bit quicker than that. They they need him to run the point. If it's not him, then it, then it has to be TJ Gibbs, and I don't think that that's the best way to maximize right. TJ Gibbs's ability. So they need Prentice Hub very badly to be uh, the guy that handles the basketball for them. Third part of that question is Bray. I want to talk about something you said yesterday, Pete, while we're waiting for BK. If people are going to jump off the Mike Bray bandwagon because they have a rebuilding year, that's their own fault. I mean, what are you going to... Who, who, look at... I'm going to turn on the TV when Kentucky plays and when Duke plays this weekend. And look what's on the court. Mike Bray will maximize what he has. This year, a couple guys missed shots that would have put him in the NCAA tournament, and he'd have been up for ACC Coach of the Year. They wouldn't have been any better because TJ Gibbs hits a tip in to beat, Louis, to beat North Carolina. Yeah, and if, right? da- if Davidson misses their last shot... And yeah. they make the NCAA tournament. Exactly. But that doesn't make them a better team. No. I mean, no. you know, then Maryland-Baltimore County could have broken no, the world in the that, second game. But there was just no... <laughs> that was part of, my, part of my point of my column the day after the Penn State loss was that, you know, right now we're saying, oh, they had, they had injuries and that's why they didn't have a good year. But if they don't make the NCAA tournament next year... It looks year, bad tears in a row, but it's... Right. Yeah. They, they have enough ability to make the NCAA tournament next year. Healthy. Really? They almost made it this year with junk. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they but, had, now, they had the benefit of the doubt this year that helps but, a lot. I think if Notre Dame had not been coming off what they were coming mm-hmm. off, they would not have been in the running at all for the tournament. I think the Bonzi Colson thing, well, he's one of the better players in the, league, in the country, and this is a tournament team, put them in position when they didn't beat anybody to deserve being in position. No. So next year, I, I'm not sure they'll be on the good side of the bubble at 9-9. <laughs> nine nine. But next year, they're not going to have one of the better players in the country. Who no, would that be? No, no I mean it would have to be yeah, Gibbs, and Gibbs is not going to be one of the better players yeah. in the country. Yeah, but they could be. They barely had them this year, though. You know, it's like it will be a rebuilding. It'll year. be a rebuilding yeah. year. And, and, that, and yes. you can go nine and nine in a rebuilding. Yeah, year. you could go ten yeah, and eight. But Tippins going the, in. The freshmen it's, have to play a lot, and I think Nate Lashewski and Dane Goodwin immediately have to play because they're shooters. And Carmody's kind of a Carmody's kind of a. I, I hesitate to say it, but I think I've said it before he's a shorter Conadin. He's that kind of player, but he's about four inches shorter than Conadin, so that that makes it that makes it a little bit difficult. But Carmody's a player. I love Chris Doherty's game. He's a junkyard dog type player. 
and I think he's going to have a nasty temperament. He got kicked out of the game earlier this year. Bray's going to be totally open to the freshman contributing. Yeah. It's not, there's no earning your stripes with next year's team because Ray, Jawan, I keep saying Ray Durham. Jawan Durham, he's important at center, but he's a new guy to the team too, really, as he didn't get to contribute that yeah, much. Yeah, but he's got, I mean, Bray said after the, the Penn State game, we want him guarding the basket. Go ahead and get some goaltends. I want you to just play aggressively, but he is still very thin. Harvey's knee injury is significant. There is a chance, although Notre Dame, nobody at Notre Dame has said this, but I'm going to say it. There is a chance that DJ Harvey has to redshirt next year. Uh, That's the worst part of what happened yeah. this season. Jogo, you know, we've ripped on Jogi, but Jogo never got any better. He, he actually got worse too. He <laughs> he did. North Carolina, Louisville, there was something there, and then there was nothing there. Somebody on, on on our message board was questioning whether he was a good athlete. He's a really good athlete. He's long. He's six seven. He's the he, best shooter he's got, that's never hit a shot in the world. Right. I mean, I, we've seen him shoot. He's capable. He just doesn't believe that they're going to go in. I don't know if he's going to get better because he never got better this year. But he has the physical skills to do that. And Mooney has to. Mooney has to step up. He can't go one for seventeen from three like he finished the season after going six for six at North Carolina. But he's got. You know, his role changes a little bit because now he's got to be more of a banger. You know, I mean, he doesn't have Gavin and Colson no, he'll be getting the rebounds. But you're right; he, he's going to have to rebound. And he is a he is a he is a good rebounder. I think he can be a very good rebounder. He catches the ball above his head. He has arms extended. Um, boy, I'm a, I'm a little bit more skeptical about sitting here and saying I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament next year, though. All right, that's enough hoops. That's enough hoops. Thank All right, you. Irish man, thirty-one three. Does having a backloaded schedule work in favor of this team? Beating up on weaker teams in theory early in the year should allow the offense to form an identity before facing tougher teams late. That theory is correct in that it's much better to play Ball State, Vanderbilt, and Wake after you start with Michigan than if you were to throw in, say, Florida State uh, at Navy and at Virginia Tech. However, 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, it's still then for whom the bell tolls coming up, right? Because this is a tough... Question? Totally agree. It's better to have the front-loaded schedule because otherwise they would just lose. Don't you think that they would just well, lose if you put the best teams at the beginning? Yeah, that's why most con- that's why conference teams play. Right. They get to ease know. in other than Michigan, which is just going to be a... I mean, we were talking about the fan bait, the fan... Wow. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere for the Notre Michigan game because the loser of that game has a rough... Yeah. He has a rough. Fa- I'm talking rough go with with the fans. I don't mean Notre Dame goes to ball, has Ball State, Vanderbilt, and Wake. They actually can just go three and one if they lose to Michigan. But the loser of that game is going to have an upset fan base. Those fans, <laughs> whatever message board that is, whether it's us or the Michigan site, people are going to be bitching about that for three months. Like you're going to have to you're going to have to come a long well, way uh, back yeah, for because, people to be like, because, oh yeah, that was fine. No. Yeah. Michigan fans are not happy right now. No. That's what I mean. Oh no, of course not. I mean, no, Notre Dame fans have a little bit more to be there's happy about, but it's, from what it's, it's within their DNA to be upset. Most well, they have a right time, to be so. after November too. So it, there, there's a yeah. mixed bag there. It gets hard. We're going to be breaking down the schedule forever, but October, November, you, I, I guess November is harder because they took away a home game. On purpose, <laughs> purposefully, yeah. they didn't lose it. They just took it away. It's it's weird. But if you if you don't have the schedule committed to memory, which I'm assuming many of our listeners actually don't, um, you know, open with Michigan, Ball State at home, Vanderbilt at home, Wake Forest and Charlotte. Those are your first four games, and then and then they you're staring have, at your computer clearly because well, it says open. it does say <laughs> Winston Salem, and then Stanford at Virginia Tech, yeah. Pittsburgh, which you know people. 
Notre Dame should probably yeah. beat Pittsburgh at home, but look up the last 10 scores of Notre Dame Pittsburgh at home and then tell me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bye week, which is huge because then they go to Navy. Well, they go to San Diego to play Navy. And I think everybody listening now, or at least 99% of them, know how that game's going to go in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You come home and you go to Chicago for Northwestern, which is my, I'll give it away now, the trap game of the year. Senior day is now November 10th versus Both. Florida State. You then go out to New York because Notre Dame has, does not have enough of an imprint uh, in New York or Yankee Stadium to uh, recruit and do things out there with the alumni base. For a unique game against Syracuse, none of that previous part was true, but they do go to New York, and then they go out to USC. So the beginning is it's front loaded. It's a it's a back loaded schedule. Yeah. The front's easier, which makes sense. For I mean, it's like that's, if if you want to put a silver lining on it, that's it. That you get some time to ramp up a new defensive coordinator against, frankly, some terrible offenses uh, for the first three weeks yeah. of the season. Yeah, that's a good if point. Not four. Yeah, and, Wade, and, and Wake, Wake Forest loses their quarterback, who was the Best straw that stirred the drink. Yeah. yeah, you know, Virginia Tech's not putting up a ton of points. Stanford's offense is—I guess they still embrace love, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I, did, you know, I like the way really that that offense Costello, is trending. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's trending too. Um, you know, well, Stanford, yeah. Virginia, Stanford at Virginia Tech, back to back. That's where you know where Notre Dame season's going. And probably back. ever, you know, it's at Virginia Tech at night, which makes it yeah. that much more difficult to play at that place. But man, I can't wait to go to. What the, that's a stadium we all want to, and that's an environment you all want to experience. Yeah. Next up, NDFB. I think the defense has found the found their identity and will build off last season. What do you think about the offense in terms of is it a rebuilding last year or did they find an identity last year that they can improve upon? I don't know. I wouldn't put it in the category of rebuilding um, per se, and yet. <laughs> You have a bunch of new receivers, and the chemistry your offensive line has to redevelop without Harry Heastand, and you don't really know about your your running back situation. And I guess it's up in the air at quarterback. So maybe I should call that rebuilding, shouldn't I? My thought is they believe they have found their identity, but I'm not sure they'll stick with it if if stuff starts yeah. to hit the fan next year. That's the question. Do they stick with the identity of being a physical running team? Whether playing Stanford and at Virginia Tech and things are going wrong, I, I mean, I, I have a feeling that they believe that the way to win is how they won when they were winning last year. I'm not so sure about that. So you think they're going to throw it all over to the inexperienced? They would like to. Okay, well that's seven and five. Then. Yeah. So um, they would like to throw it a lot more than they did last year with a lot more efficiency, obviously. You know, I, maybe I should rephrase. They want to throw it a little more than last year with a lot more. Okay, that's different. That's different. Um, you know, they, I think they would like to be more of a, a balanced spread offense. They they were completely imbalanced last year because that was the only way that they could move the football. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case this season. You know, you don't. I you're, I I can see O'Malley. Wins they always lose when they do this. I'm not saying they need to <laughs> average 40 passing attempts a game. But I think being in the high twenties is fine. Yeah, the high twenties. Opposed to seventeen, the high twenties is fine. Yeah, I mean, certainly they (laughs) when you have an offensive line like you had last year with that left side, certainly you're going to go into the year and say, okay, man, we're gonna we're offensive linemen can also pass block. Well, yeah, but that doesn't. But you don't exert your physical will upon teams doing that. You just would like to be able to do that. Yeah, they, look, they they have to strike a balance. You can't. You well, first of all, you're not going to run it as well yeah. next year as you did this past year, be, just because you don't, you don't have a 
a potential Hall of Fame left guard. Um, you know, McGlinchey was a, was a veteran and a, and a great leader there. Um, yeah, but they have to have balance. And Can you just run it as well as you did against Michigan State? I, I would say like Michigan State, well, they LSU, should, yeah, they should LSU. Be that's what you need to be able to do. I think being a run-first team that takes play-action shots is still definitely on the table. That's um, all I'm asking. Is that that I think well, it should be Notre Dame's identity? Three hundred yard not. rushing outputs. I'd say uh, probably not. Yeah, but right. it comes down. It all. It, it's all. Everything that we're talking about is going to be decided by the progress at the quarterback position and the ability to complete sixty percent of your passes instead of forty nine percent of them. So are they rebuilding offensively? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's almost like reinventing. I guess if you want to find a re prefix <laughs> to throw out there, I'd go, I'd go reinvention more than rebuilding yeah. and certainly not reloading. And, and look, you should still feel pretty good about your offensive line. You have four guys that, that, that played a lot, three guys that... Yeah, the offensive line can be really good. It just won't be as fun. Does that make sense? Quentin Nelson made offensive line fun. No, no He made everybody not. look at <laughs> little clips after games to watch him... There's Picking a, up blitzers and choke sliming players. There's a great. lot more to Chip Long's offense than, than we've seen. Oh, I yeah. Mean, he, he got blamed for a lot of stuff last year. When, when you have a quarterback that, I mean, when he can't throw a screen pass, what are you, you going to call? You're going to turn around and hand the ball off again. Especially, you know, and you yeah. got, I mean, you got a great offensive line with a guy that's making a run for the Heisman Trophy of running back. It's, it's the thing to do under the circumstances. No question. Moving on, Wash ND. If for some reason none of the rover options are looking good going into the summer, will the coaches ask Drew Tranquil to move back to rover and put Jonathan Jones at Buck, or is Tranquil staying at Buck regardless, since the coaching staff partly sold him on coming back? Kind of along the lines of what I asked yeah. Brian Kelly yesterday, and I mean they they want they want Tranquil to play the Buck, and physically I think he's capable of doing that. Um, I, I think it's. To a large extent, a, I don't know if I want to say a more important position than Rover, but it's centrally located. So I think you start, you know, you're strong up the middle, right? So you want Drew Tranquil there. Physically, Asmar Bilal should absolutely be able to handle the Rover position. And, you know, when you look at Koromoa, when you look at Koromoa, he certainly looks the part as well, a guy that would be more mobile and that you could, you know, use more in past situations. But I don't think there are any guarantees at Rover, um, but you know if you put Tranquil back at Rover, what guarantee do you have a right. Buck? And you don't have a backup Buck then. You don't have any backups inside of Jonathan Jones as your starting Buck. I think they like having Jones as the backup to those inside positions where if somebody gets hurt in a competitive game, he just goes in and plays. Mm-hmm. And they're not reinventing the wheel and trying to figure out how they can shore up that spot. You know, I, I was with Washington D like... Spring is about trying to find a rover for Tranquil so he can play Buck, but I think the way you asked it and he answered, I think they're kind of committed to it. Yeah, they'll just so. nickel out Rover when it's passing situation. They'll just play situational. It's easier to do than what right. they were doing last year, where they essentially Tranquil moved inside anytime they played nickel anyway. So I I think the the difference here, especially when you look at how much they actually play nickel. I mean, we're talking one out of every three plays at a minimum. Um, it's probably maybe even be more than that. I mean, it, I think you always you always want to be strong up the middle, right? And, and yeah. Tranquil gives you that with Coney. Yeah, I mean, in Spades it gives you that. Yeah, I just think the at the end of the season, for how much time we spent on Rover last year, we'll be like, did they, uh, Rover is just not going to be a talking point this year. Maybe it'll be Bilal, maybe it'll be Ousu Cormo, maybe it'll be Shane Simon, but I, I just think the impact of that position will be minimized. 
because they're going to play nickel a lot. Yeah. And it, maybe it's a healthier, more yeah. confident Sean Crawford. Maybe shift Julian Love in there. Like, I think that they'll be fine at that position. They love Crawford at nickel, right? He so loves that, it. They yeah, lay up. He it's loves just, it. I mean, he's he's about as well-equipped a nickel as you can have out there, a guy that can handle change of direction uh, from receivers. Did he wear down? Was he banged up at the end of the season? No, I think, yeah. I didn't think so. After yeah. missing two years of football, yeah. to wear him down. Yeah. We should have probably expected that a little more. Let me jump back into Twitter here. We've got a question from Toby Deal, and he wants to know, what are your early impressions of Jafar Armstrong and Avery Davis as they make position switches? Um, you had offense yesterday. Why don't you answer that first? Um, I liked Jafar. Jafar Armstrong, to me, looked like a natural running back or wide receiver. He looks more like a running back than he does a wide receiver physically. Yeah, and I just I see him practice. I'm like, I could see this guy making a contribution. I feel like what I saw briefly from Avery Davis yesterday was a quarterback attempting to play running back. There was not a seamless, oh, I could see him doing both, right. which makes sense. I mean, how many quarterbacks just like flip over to running back for a, a couple periods and look great? Um, how, how much How much running back did Jafar Hunt? Jafar Armstrong play in high school. I think he was mostly a receiver. I, I, he was, I, he was mostly, guy. but I, I just just like off the top of my head, I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't. I don't think that was something that he did. Uh, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I do harken back to I guess my last Dell Alexander saying that they were really surprised by when they took a closer look at Armstrong how fast he actually is. That's a nice quality if he can play if he has this uh, innate ability to play running back because when I mean that was that was CJ Procise right CJ Procise. Mm-hmm. Turned huge plays out because he had that second gear. That'd be nice. To see. I don't. I'm not saying he's gonna have a 900 yards rushing, but <laughs> if he can contribute as a third running back, that that helps a I, lot. It's important. It really is. Avery Davis, I don't see as a running back as much as a situational. If if he can get on the field at all in this role, it's a situational guy out of the backfield, not a running back, mm-hmm. right? Where your swing passes and stuff, you're not gonna hand it. Avery Davis and so. have him where you line him up in, where you line him up set, where he's yeah. taking a jet sweep yeah. or something like that. But or line I, him up in the slot and throw yeah. it to him. And it just. I need, I'm going to need to see a lot more from Avery Davis, which is fine. I, mean, I think they're just trying practices. To, they're trying to find a role because he's not in any way going to start at quarterback. Yeah, he's athletic. Like, yeah. can we get this athlete on the field? Maybe, maybe not. They don't know, and that's that's okay. That's what spring practice is supposed to be about. Uh, question from Irish Kid: What number coat of paint is this for Brian Kelly? <laughs> I have counted them up. <laughs> I knew yes, you would. Yes. <laughs> uh, there were two coats in 2010. There was the Dane Chris coat, followed by the Tommy <laughs> Reese coat. So there were two in the first year. There was one really ugly coat of paint applied in 2011. So there's three coats there. I think 2012 and 2013 had a fresh new coat of paint that kind of wore down late. But it just spanned two years. 14 and 15, I'm going to give it one coat of paint and it started to look a little brighter in 15. 2016 was a coat mm. of paint. Maybe they should have like, just left the house alone. Yeah. <laughs> Something graffiti. Uh, it, pe- it, it peeled off. Yeah. <laughs> it did peel off. Nick, last year was certainly. Last year was certainly a fresh coat of paint, as we've been told. And I think they're hoping that coat still applies through the weathering the storm this year. Like that metaphor thrown in there for the... Yeah. You know, Ooh, yeah, weathering the storm. You're, there so you go. I, I you're, you're, you're on message. So they're on eight. I think you're yeah. putting that coat of paint on with a very broad brush. No, God! <laughs> hey. Wow. I have nothing else to offer. What color time. is the 2016 coat of paint, actually? <laughs> An odd brown. Future, po- future podcasts. Kids are us. Is your opinion, in your opinion, is the wide receiver depth chart starting to take shape sooner than you thought? I don't. I mean, I don't know that it's taking shape. I think Miles 
Is it taking shape? I don't even... I think it's because we put out the same death chart two practice reports in a row, probably, that they're thinking. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I, you know, that's legit. And we said all along that Boykin and a healthy Claypool and a Michael Young would probably be your starting three. So I guess from that standpoint, Chris Fink um, should really be included in there. So from yeah, that standpoint, those four, right, mm-hmm. are clearly... I'm, I'm looking at the other names, Freddie Canteen and, and... Well, McKinley's the guy we're all curious about because he was highly rated coming out of high school. That's the only reason that everybody's high on... I mean, seriously, yeah. at this point, he's a junior. He registered as a sophomore. Part of it is because he had surgery on his fibula mid-season mm-hmm. freshman year. Part of it is because he clearly did not impress when he came back because he didn't need 12 months to come back from surgery on a broken fibula, I wouldn't think, right? Correct. Is that fair? That's and Brian fair. Kelly brought up traits to Javon McKinley last year, the dreaded word, in November, one year after the surgery. We all want to see if McKinley can jump into this, and if he can't, then the freshmen are going to. And they probably will anyway. They'll have options there, yeah. I think, in a way that they were kind of scrambling last year. Um, I think that another way to look at this is, do we think we're going to watch training camp and think more of Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay than we did of Michael Young and Jafar Armstrong? I would say... Absolutely, yeah, yes. I would say yeah, absolutely and also. That, that acknowledges that we sort of liked those guys in August last year. Yeah. I liked Young a lot last year. He was, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah no doubt. Like, I had him no, starting before the last Well, I mean, we were, we were surprised at, at Armstrong's body composition definition, I think, mm-hmm. you know, after having seen him in high school. The wide receiver positions are going to be frustrating to evaluate because right now all you can say is those four guys that we mentioned mm-hmm. at the top – but with Austin and Lindsey and Keys as well, you know, I mean, it's well, just going to... they really use some early enrollee. Yeah. Boy, they really, really could have used a couple of those guys coming in early. But, you know, so that's going to be like a week-by-week thing. How much can these guys learn? Because we know they have the physical skills. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget this is a position where Cam Smith and Freddie Canteen started last year. Totally because of the traits. Don't you think... Freddie Canteen, I mean, I at least. I mean, it, they couldn't stop harping on the guys have to get their traits together. I mean, it was I think ridiculous. Cam, Cam Smith, in particular, I'm not really sure what traits of Freddie can other than being older. older. He was an old, was an old trait. It's one of the, <laughs> laser focus and being old. There's a couple of traits in there. And that's Mike Bray's line. But I was his old. new. <laughs> you're staying old. It was it was Kelly's message all off season, and guys didn't get it. So I think he. Yeah. I don't use punitively, but he started guys that practice hard, right? There's just. I don't really have a huge problem. I don't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> uh, I was odd that they beat out Fink. I don't. The Fink Fink's an interesting case in that I think he needs a more accurate. He needs like Deshaun Watson as his quarter or Deshaun Kaiser even well, as his quarterback because mm-hmm. I think he gets open or a coordinator that yeah, like Hunter receivers. Renfro didn't look as good without Deshaun Watson. No, no, I, I think he gets open, um, but if I, it's not like he can bring a lot more to the table than getting open and it's important. It is. Now, he, people, it's interesting, Mike Denbrock told us a long time ago, and it kind of came out in a couple games, he's more quick than he is great hands. And I think people, you know, profile him as a white small guy that has great, great hands. I think he just has good hands. It's just he's super quick. Great feet. Great feet. I mean, he dropped a couple slants last year. He dropped a pass yeah. that he needed to catch. He probably also, he needs a coordinator that likes smaller yeah. receivers, sure. and Chip I, Long likes bigger receivers. Yeah. Or maybe that was all that he felt he had to use last year. See, see what I mean? There are so many questions. You know, this is gonna—it's gonna be frustrating talking about the receivers from now until August because 
there's nothing definitive, especially with those three freshmen coming in. All right. Well, we got two more questions here. Statman72, what are the top two or three things you hope to take away from the coaches' clinic this weekend, which I think all three of us will be attending? Well, and number one is this, the, the full practice viewing is invaluable. I, I go back to Sam Mustafer's redshirt freshman year when Jack Freeman and I sat at midfield and watched Mustafer bounce three straight snaps. And we thought, that could come back and hurt them someday. Yeah. Lo and behold, <laughs> yeah. it did. And then in some good ways, we saw, I think, when it was Folston Bryant that everybody assumed C.J. Procise was kind of like, oh, well, trying to find a role. We were all sitting there watching C.J. Procise break away from people beginning of spring and then the middle of the spring and at the end of the spring and he's running over Max Redfield and laughing at him and we thought you know what he seems like he's better than the other guys doesn't he and turns out he was a little bit better than both of them uh, I mean Bob Diaco's talk on Friday morning will easily be number analyst. one yes that's must that's must listen stuff analyst Oklahoma right yeah which I it's like I had no idea about that but then you're like oh it makes sense you know the uh, Stoops family Kerry Cooks is obviously there um, so it'll be interesting to see what he has to say in his talk Friday morning. But yeah, I mean, it's so the open practices. And then I always, I try to go to a couple of like the chalk talk type things that the coaches do. I mean, it's a reminder about how little you know about football. Um, but it, I always find if I can get like a couple things out of that, that it's like, I will watch tape a little bit differently. That's always interesting. Um, there, I, I, Totally remember the Weiss era. It might have been the first year I went, and there was a head coach from a Division two school who was there, uh, and just talking about the vertical passing game, and like, this is how we try to draw it up and take advantage of the linebackers and corners. I was like, oh, there, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it was Chuck Martin. Um, you know, it was just like, you can see who's like a really good communicator. If you, if you can make me understand it, um, you can definitely make college kids understand well, it. Well, and I, you bring that up, and that's exactly how I, I, I want to speak Mandarin. Yeah, Mike Elko's talk last year, and it was all about how they create fumbles. And it's not, you know, it depends upon, I've talked about this before, I think, on our podcast. It depends upon how the the person with the ball presents himself to the defender, whether it's his side, straight on, or from behind. And then, lo and behold, Norton goes to Michigan State last year, and Sean Crawford executes the perfect strip of the football from behind, and then follows the play and lands on in the end zone. It's what it's, you know, I think I chose that as the, the play of the year last year. So those kind of things. And, and to, to follow up your point, Pete, about communicating the point, I came out, out of that completely understanding how Elko teaches it. And it gave you some insight into, man, this guy really, really is a quality teacher. I feel the same way, and I went to one with a guy named Chuck Martin talking to you about defensive back play. Oh, yeah, that was a good and one. And it was a good one, and how guys, when you know, why don't you turn around, when do you turn around, it's not, it's knowing when to turn around, and it's the split-second decision of, yeah. do I turn for the ball, do I play through the ball, and he says, players lose the decision-making process, should I turn, should I not turn, that's where the play is lost, not necessarily... Hey, we teach them to never turn around, right. or we teach them that. I thought mm-hmm. they; those are some. So I'm gonna go see. I don't want to see Terry Joseph. I think since he's one of the new guys. All right, last question. This is a surprise, so you get an honest reaction here. Rob Ebert wants to know: Notre Dame finishes nine and three this year. Does the program need a reboot? Would you consider it holding steady, or would it, you look at it as Brian Kelly can reinvent himself again? I wouldn't say the program needs a reboot if they go nine and three regular season this year. Okay. I think that would be they would have done a their team last year was better than this team. They have more talent. They, they if they go nine and three this year, which they went nine and three last year in the regular season, right? And it's some it, it did actually. 
I keep saying I was surprised by it, but I did predict 9-3 and three with an 8-1 and one start, so I'm not totally shocked by it. But the way it happened shocked me that they were murdering people, and they were legitimately looked like one of the best teams in the country. I don't think they're going to look like one of the best teams in the country this year. So if he goes 9-3, and three, I think he does a good job. <laughs> yeah, are they going to be in playoff contention when Probably they get to November? For the Florida State game, that's the exact week. Are they in playoff contention? That's, that's a tough... It's not impossible, but it's tough to they say. They have to be 8-1 and one yeah. with three games to go, yeah. Florida State coming to South Bend. It's not impossible, but then they have to finish. Then they have Florida State at Syria, you know, basically. Basically, that means State. you beat Michigan, then you split Stanford and Virginia Tech. And don't get upset, right? And don't get upset at playing Northwestern on the or, road or in November. Or Wake yeah. Forest. And, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you just, you can't look at those. It's I can't look at those. It's not nine and three. That's, he no, did, I don't, or reboot. No, I, I don't, no, I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say reboot. I, I imagine nine and three would frustrate a lot of people, again, uh, because they want... They want to get in the playoffs, yes. uh, but I don't know that we... Why would we realistically look at this team and say it's a playoff team? Other than, I mean, you've got most of your defense. you got a yeah, large portion of your that. defense coming back, and that's that's great, but you don't have the, the potentially dominant offensive line. I mean, you don't... Is there a first-round draft choice on the offensive line in, on the 2018 team? I mean, not in 2019. No. <laughs> you know... No, uh, probably yeah. not in 2020 yeah, like, or 2021 well, you either. You can have a good offensive yeah. line with a bunch of draft picks that aren't. You can have a good offensive line sure. without having yeah, a dominant no, force you're right. and Quentin Nelson. You're right. I mean, yeah, no, I get that. You couldn't block the other side when things were going wrong against Miami. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. No, I, I, I get that. I, I don't, but I just, yeah, you need to win your bowl game. I mean, you need you, you need to keep winning your bowl game. You need to go 10-3. You're right, because that has engendered so much belief in this offseason that Miles Boyd can make that catch. I, I say that every year. I mean, you you, you disagree it, anyway. It, no. it I mean it totally it totally sets your frame of mind from January moving on. It just does. I mean, it is one of those things you look back. Let's <coughs> say Kyle Brintz has shanked the field goal against LSU. I think Notre Dame would have been just as good the next year. They would have had yes. the same strengths and the same weaknesses, and the record would have been the same. <clears throat> so in that, and since you're like. That really didn't make any much of a difference in terms of like the future results, but I agree with you. The entire attitude vibe around Notre Dame now is is, <coughs> is different, and they will continue to be living off that, and justifiably so. The pendulum That's why swing. They have to beat Michigan. Yes. Yeah. So it lasts right. another month. Right. And <laughs> the pendulum the pendulum swing with with bowl games. I mean, Notre Dame's gone a long time without being a consistent winner in bowl games. They have to reach that point. All right, I broke down the schedule, and I'm going to save it for Monday. There we go. I'm, I'll do teaser. Yep. <laughs> well, nine and three just seems yeah. like a pretty good, solid record next year in the regular season. I agree. There's some good teams on this league. I agree. Well, we'll come back with our next podcast on Monday. We've got a couple of open practices to uh, figure out uh, some player access as well, and uh, Tim O'Malley's schedule breakdown. So you can all look forward to that in our next Irish Illustrated Insider Monday. Thanks for listening. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley.